Drive better outcomes with the Huntswood Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Huntswood Podcast, um, where we're planning to discuss all manner of topical regulatory and operational issues that are rising for firms. Um, my name is Matt Drage, Director at Huntswood, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Paul Dyer. Hi, Matt. This is, uh, this is Paul. I head up regulatory risk and assurance at Huntswood, um, and I'm pleased to be here today. Thanks for joining, Paul. Thank you. And Paul, it's fair to say until recently, you were the Deputy Chief Risk Officer at the FCA. So, you know, you've got broad brief there in terms of understanding how the FCA's own second line of defences work. So really interested to be getting your thoughts today on the FCA business plan. So thanks for joining. Now, just before we get stuck into the detail, Paul, I thought given your previous background, you could really offer some insight in terms of just the sort of thinking that goes into the business plan and just maybe break down why it's presented in the way it is, because that's always been a question I've had on my mind. Sure, Matt. And I think it's fair to say that uh, despite business plan sector views and all the regulatory things that go on in the, in the press and otherwise, actually the biggest question or most frequent question I tend to get is the one around how does that black box of regulation work? What, what is behind the business plan? Um, if we step back for a second, I've worked with a number of regulators over time uh, on both sides of the fence. So they all seem to operate in a consistent way here. They're all in place to basically prevent some sort of harm to the public at large. And it's balancing a finite resource in trying to prevent, mitigate and correct that harm that's at the heart of everything, really. In the case of the FCA, they actually clearly they're there to prevent harm from financial services um, and to ensure there's integrity in the market and competition. They actually um, break down all of those harms by the various sectors that they regulate specifically um, working out for example the risks associated with third party supplier relationships legacy technologies conflicts of interest the way in which products are sold um, vulnerable consumers the many different aspects of things that can cause harm to to consumers as a result of financial services are broken down identified and they're then assessed individually. Um, they're assessed according to past issues and things that have already happened and kind of crystallised, things that are going on in the current market and the potential harm that could arise in the future. And they take all of that assessment and the things that rise to the top is presenting the biggest concern, then have some sort of regulatory strategy against them. In recent times, the FCA has published these in sector views. Um, the latest versions came out in February, and that's almost a precursor to this planning process. Um, the FCA would have been working on the business plan for the next six months, uh, sorry, the last six months, although it's, it's probably fair to say that it's changed a bit in response to coronavirus more recently. Um, so the business plan is basically a byproduct of continuous ongoing thinking around the harms that financial services can cause. Um, and I think this, this latest iteration is, is just as fascinating as all the ones we've seen before. It was interesting reading the business plan because it, it came across as much shorter this year. I think the coronavirus pandemic is obviously, you know, with the amount of planning that goes into the business plan, will have caught the FCA undoubtedly by surprise. I just wanted to pick up on the theme of the temporary interventions we've seen from the FCA more recently. And Paul, given the pandemic is unprecedented, do you think that those temporary interventions could change going forwards? I mean, how temporary are they going to be in your eyes? Yeah, that's a um, that's a great that's a great question. 
And I think, you know, we have, we have to realise that the FCA, much like any organisation, is having to respond to these, as you put it, unprecedented times. Amazing how many times we've said unprecedented in the past, but now it's really, really true. Um, they, they've got, you know, they've, they've got all their staff working from home. They've got a new CEO that's got coincidentally happened at the same time. So they're having to respond themselves. Um, a lot of their short term changes are driven by government prioritisation, for which they themselves are going to be responding in the same way that firms are responding to things being put in place by the regulator. I think this is a very dynamic situation. And as with any regulatory planning, um, they can only really respond to what they know and what is known. No one's got a crystal ball. And ultimately, I think this is why they are engaging as much as they are with firms um, and trade bodies and professional bodies as well. Uh, I know the FCA is anticipating and preparing for some fundamental changes to economic and market conditions as a result of what's going on, which seems quite prudent. This could include the potential for firm failure, um, which has to be done in an orderly way, as well as understanding any potential systemic impacts that could have broader consequences as things develop. Um, many firms I speak to seem to believe that the temporary arrangements, uh, including, for example, payment holidays, are linked to the current lockdown, when in fact I think that they're actually more closely aligned to the broader economic decline that that potentially poses the biggest risk. This means that the, uh, the payment holidays and other temporary interventions may not be immediately lifted with lockdown, with the, the perceived deadlines already given. If there's anything I know about the FCA, it's that they'll, if they've approved three months, they've possibly got six or nine months up, up their sleeve in case it's needed in case they see that actually the, the financial distress is, is prolonged. Um, I think, I'm not sure we've even begun to really see the true economic impacts. Um, so it's entirely likely that the, the arrangements put in place, I think, may be, may be prolonged, may not be in the exact way that they are at the moment, as set up in guidance, they could adapt. And I think the FCA is trying to be as open as possible in engaging with the industry, engaging more than ever with firms and trying to get their views on what those right next steps are. Ultimately, it's the firms who are closest to the harm. And so that's where the FCA needs to, um, needs to listen the hardest. Yeah, it's interesting. You're right. We're still waiting for a lot of those sort of economic data points to come out. And uh, I think everyone's going to pay close attention when they do, do land, so, you know, I think the fear is there's more to come and there's worse data that you know it will trickle through and the economy could be in quite a quite a difficult place. I mean, just just picking up on that theme. I mean, with that in mind, it's it's a word that's used a lot by the FCA. It's you know outcomes, focusing on good outcomes for customers. Just on that, I mean, do you, do you feel that the FCA has been clear on what a good outcome looks like in the past, but also in light of the current pandemic? So I think the topic of outcomes is an interesting one. The FCA and going back to FSA with treating customers fairly and other initiatives in the past has been far more outcome focused, I think, if you like. And they found that some of the challenges was, with that was that actually decision-making could be clouded. Um, it could be done by committee. I think the senior management and certification regime to a certain extent has put more onus on individual accountability and decision-making. I think that the harm approach has moved slightly away from outcomes and made them a bit more 
quantitative and a bit easier to actually manage. Um, in general, I think the FCA's intentions are pretty clear, but sometimes that can get lost in translation. The ability to be able to articulate what they're trying to achieve, turn it into plans that make the actual envisaged difference um, can be difficult. It can be difficult to evidence. In many cases, it's intangible. In many cases, the FCA is quite keen not to tell firms what to do and they're looking for some sort of um, lead from the firms themselves, where obviously firms are looking to the regulator just to tell them what to do. So I think that, so in summary, I think the FCA is clear on its expectations and possibly clearer than other with regimes like the SMCR, but that ultimately there's, it always takes two to tango and you're kind of reliant on a dialogue and it's the quality of the dialogue that drives the right outcomes. And we're still working at that fundamentally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, just reading the business plan, obviously much shorter this year, down to 25 pages. I mean, if there's anything that you could summarise, what would be sort of the, the three main points that you, you see come out of the business plan pool for our listeners to really, you know, dig under the skin on, really get to grips with? So uh, it's a great question, Matt. Um, I think the things that I've kind of pulled from the business plan, and as mentioned earlier, this is this is done with a new CEO at speed, given the, the changing environment. The sector, the, the sector views were published at a time when coronavirus hadn't imp- impacted, meaning actually they've had to replan since then. But I think if I had to pick out a couple of uh, a key, key threads, the first one is that it's very much a game of two halves. So you've got short term and then medium term. Any, any strategic work that was previously planned has been put on the back burner, being put back for six months, pending dealing with these short term impacts. So that's the first thing I think that resonates immediately from the document. In terms of the short term, upfront, it's access, accessibility, availability, affordability of critical services. The FCA's primary focus um, is, in, is in full effect here. Everything else t- almost takes a, a side step to a certain extent. They need to make sure that actually there isn't undue panic, there isn't undue harm caused by people not getting access to their money, not getting access to the products they need, or firms that may be taking advantage of consumers during this time. So really back to basics. I think the second thing I'd take away is there's a, there's a throwaway paragraph in the document partway through around small and medium firms and how a lot of the issues that have been identified in the past are no longer coming from the large firms, they're coming from the small and medium population. In regulatory terms, this is called the flexible pot, right? So there are some firms that have fixed resource, a dedicated team watching them at all times, interacting with them regularly. And then there are a lot, in fact, the majority of firms, small and medium, who have flexed, flexible resource, who actually don't have a dedicated supervisory team, whose interaction with the regulator would be very few and far between. And in some cases, they may never have spoken directly to the regulator themselves. The FCA have recognised that a lot of the problems are where there have been issues with small and medium firm activity. And therefore, they, they make a, a, a note in this plan that they're going to be, in effect, increasing scrutiny where there are no, there's known harm or issues caused by these firms. They're investing more resource in their systems as a result. And I think there's a, it's interesting, it's increasing their budget overall. 
because they want to be able to, on an automated, systematic basis, identify where things have gone and tackle it much, much quicker. So scrutiny on small and medium firms will be increasing and there will be more regulatory liaison and interaction. I think the third thing I'd pick out is this growing focus from the business plan and in recent correspondence and dear CEO letters around commercial customers in the small and medium enterprise space. So this goes back quite a long way, but, but more recently there's been noise from small and medium businesses who in some cases may be a sole trader, maybe a limited company with a small number of directors, but who aren't being treated in a consistent way to the way that retail customers are, are treated, even though they're buying many of the same products. The FCA, even though this is outside of their official regulatory remit currently, through the senior management regime, it has the ability to challenge firms on decisions they're making within, within their businesses. And it's been encouraging them to look at the way they treat small and medium enterprises to work out if it is consistent, if it could be fairer. Um, the establishment of the banking the business banking resolution service, uh, which comes into effect later in the year, is another development that will be focusing on small and medium enterprises. I think this is an area that will grow and grow. So just to recap, the three areas I think I'd pick out is the, the core focus, accessibility, availability, affordability of critical services. Um, the small and medium firms getting increasing scrutiny, number two. And number three of interest to me is the growing emphasis upon small and medium enterprise regulation. That's a great breakdown, absolutely. And just, just echoing on the last point in terms of, you know, the SME issues in the marketplace, I, I just look back to things like interest rate derivatives and how that was really almost a, a game changer for the FCA at the time. So absolutely, no, great insight. Thank you. Um, I, I, think, I think you're right, Matt. And in fact, the... The latest, a lot of the, the government interventions have been put in place, C-bills and bounce back loans and a whole number of interventions that banks have been asked to support. And in fact, the broader financial services population, um, which are being provided to small and medium enterprises in many cases, and which could just create further, um, further impetus behind this drive to have this proportion of the market treated in a more consistent fashion with the with retail consumers absolutely absolutely you know the, the, the financial ombudsman as well in terms of their changing payout limits and in terms of their changing eligibility criteria you mix that with bbrs it's clear that there is a gap there that is looking to be addressed so that's great insight um do you think there's anything there that potentially surprised you that was missing from the business plan I think because of timing, I was surprised that they didn't highlight some of the areas where, as a result of um, the pandemic, they anticipate increased harm. I think there is some, there's some insights that obviously they're looking into this. They're trying to understand actually how that harm's going to evolve. But I think there are some real critical areas where we're going to see harm manifesting as a result of the situation that we're in. Um, they're not in the plan, so I think I'm hoping the, the FCA is going to communicate those as it moves along. But I think as part of that, it's pretty much as anticipated. There is this huge machine, this harm-driven assessment process that actually ensures that there's, a, that there's rigor in their business planning process. And I think as a result, if it were to significantly deviate, 
probably people would be questioning um, why there are surprises in there. So I think the fact is pretty much as expected is a good thing. So, Paul, just before we wrap, is there anything else in terms of key takeaway points or anything that you would be find useful for our listeners today? Um, yeah, I think I think probably, Matt, in terms of, of key takeaways for, for our clients or any listeners, um, I think at this current time, I'd encourage people to embrace regulatory interaction. The, the FCA is, is to a certain extent learning at the same pace as firms at the moment. It is being open. It is engaging more because it, it, it wants to understand what the consequences of its actions are. I think it's prepared for some unintended consequences, um, but, but it's keen to make sure that actually it's, it's listening to what's going on. So embrace the regulatory interaction. Think through and plan for the worst. I think it's much, much better in these circumstances to plan for the worst and then find it's going to work out better than it is to assume things are going to recover quicker and find your your court on the hoof. Um, consider the customer as well as the regulator and shareholder interests. So make sure in all your decision making that it actually it's evidenced, it's documented, captured, and it really does consider all stakeholders. I think there's the potential that at these times when decisions are made in short order, a key stakeholder can be left off and then you end up regretting it afterwards. So make sure you take into account all stakeholders in your decision-making. Decision-making is king at the moment. So that's been brilliant, Paul. Thanks very much for providing your insight into the FCA's business plan and its future priorities. Now, if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you'd like to hear more about certain topics, don't hesitate to let us know. We're always open to ideas. So stay safe in the meanwhile, and we hope you tune in again very soon.